Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. I've been reading about an interesting group of people that is growing in the Houston area in America. In fact, there are 3,000 of them in that area. They're called Therians. And a therian is someone who believes spiritually or mentally that they are an animal. Now, there's some people who behave like animals who do not believe they're animals, but these people believe they're animals, and therefore they behave like animals. They bark, they growl, they crawl on the floor, and they name themselves wolf or cat or whatever. And there's another group called the furries. They even dress up like animals. They wear furry clothes, pin tails on themselves. And it's a whole phenomena where people identify as animals. How many of you know we're living in a world that is faced with a huge identity crisis of epic proportions? People do not know who they are. And uh, here's an interesting thing. What you believe you are is the way you will behave. That's why we say to our kids, don't we? You're not an animal. Don't eat like that. Because identification leads to behavior. And the world has never had as many identity issues as it currently has. It's interesting that the mark of the beast in Revelation chapter 13 will be to do with identity. Don't you find that interesting? And that the devil will use identity to control people. Well, you know, I've discovered that because there's so much confusion today about sexual identity, about social identity, racial identity, cultural identity... I want to speak to you today, and I've entitled the message, the message, Embracing Our True Spiritual Identity. Embracing Our True Spiritual Identity. It's a huge issue that our world has never faced. People are asking, who am I? Why am I? Where am I? And trying to find out where they belong. Here's the big thing, where they fit in. Do you know where you fit in? Or are you still trying to fit in? It's so important, and... I was reading this interesting story about a young girl, just 14 years old. Her name is Tanya Catch. In 1996, a 38-year-old security guard at her school, he convinced her, his name is Thomas Hose, he convinced her to come and live with him in the house that he was sharing with his elderly parents. And he told her this. He says, no one cares for you. Um, No one's looking out for you. You're stupid. You're immature. And uh, the only person that cares for you is me. He changed her name, he dyed her hair, and he called her Nikki Allen. And for 10 years, he held her captive in the house until one day she, she, he started letting her out near the like ninth or 10th year, letting her go to the deli and the shops and so on because he trusted her, he had her for so long. One day she chats to the deli owner, Joe Spirico, and she says to him, this is who I really am. Well, Joe's son is a retired police officer. <laughs> he tells his son, his son goes there, they free her and take her back home. Her father had been searching for her here for years, put a photo on milk cartons, put flyers up, and I mean, they had an emotional uh, reunion. She's crying, he's crying, a massive thing. And in fact, she ends up writing a book about the story. It's become quite well known, a best selling book called Memoir of a Milk Carton Kid, the Tanya Nicole Catch story. But the reason I tell you this story is simply this is that when you don't know who you are, it's very easy to be held captive by others. Who is holding you culturally or socially captive because you don't know who you are? 
and you hang around with people and try and fit in and they get a hold on you. It's not God's will for your life. You need to step away from all those influences and find out who you really are. Do you know that there's some significant, well-known, famous, rich people who don't know who they are? I was reading about Nicole Kidman. She gets $15 million per movie. Well-known, well-recognized, well-respected, well-sought-after. She made this statement, I don't know who I am or what I am or where I'm headed. It's a big question today. And here's the amazing thing. People are asking, who am I? Jesus says, I am. So, man, that's pretty arrogant. No, no, he's not arrogant. He fully knows who he is. You know why? Because his father told him, and he didn't receive it from information. He received it by divine revelation. When you get to know who you are by divine revelation, you'll be completely set free. And we must discover our true identity in Christ. I want to say a couple of things. I want to look at a few myths, and I'm going to give you 10 things about it so you know where I'm heading. But I want to make a couple of comments here. Do you know that most people use material adornments to try and create an identity? It's a natural thing, and particularly when you're insecure, it comes from your childhood. You try and create a persona that will create acceptance. People like you and love you and follow you or whatever. And, uh, and people are doing this, particularly today, on social media. You, people who, you, know, you can change your face, you can make yourself, on social media, you can make yourself attractive, you can alter your cheekbones and everything, and then you can tell people where you're living. You know, you can, you can take a toilet seat and put it next to you with a picture of scenery, and it looks like you're on an airplane, you know, off to Mauritius. No, you're not, you're just off to the loo. But it's because you're insecure and you're trying to create an identity so that those kind of people will be attracted to you. Do you know that when we were growing up, we went through the same thing. We got involved with the whole hippie movement and you know, grew, grew your hair. You wear bell, wide bell bottoms and big leather belts with carvings on them, handbags with people playing flutes and, 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 and headbands and hats and with feathers in. And you'd walk down the street with your hair. I mean, if only just flowing. And then you'd see someone else. You'd, How's it, man? It was like, we're, we're like each other, you know. And you had the look. And then we called people who weren't like us straights. I mean, can you believe that word? <laughs> straights, because they weren't turned on. They hadn't smoked dope yet or tripped on LSD, so they weren't enlightened. But we were. <laughs> I used to stand on the railway station and flick open this big leather pouch I had on my belt. It was filled with, with, uh, with tobacco, moist tobacco from Holland. And I'd pull it out and roll a red, in, in a yellow cigarette paper and twist the tips and it looked like a joint. And I... <laughs> you see, you can laugh at it, but today we've gone down the same journey. You've got people who are goths. And they put all sorts of machinery in their bodies and their noses. And, and well, it's an identification. I'm not good enough. You watch a soccer game and, and people are tattooed like all over. It's like, you can't, I'm going to focus on the goalkeeper, but he's, he's. Why? Because we want to be one of them. I'm not like that. I'm like this. And we're trying to find somewhere and create an identity. I'm a soccer player, but I'm not just a soccer player. I'm a soccer player. Are you getting me? Rich people. So you can be rich. Now you think this is normal. You look at rich people and you go, ooh. You, you, you page through that airline magazine. What about all the liquor adverts between the sports games? Have you noticed they're not poor people? They don't show you people sitting on the pavement. Hey, have a dop with me. No, it's... 
walk across the room, pick it up. Music's playing. Identification. When I drink that, I'll be. So we dress ourselves up in possessions in try to create a them identity or an us identity. You know, even, even in the church, it's like that. You've got churches, and you've got other churches. You've got church where the pastor wears Woolworths clothes, and then you, you get the church where it's a skinny jeans brigade and the latest tackies. Hmm? Because we're all trying to fit in somewhere. Now, listen, hear me here. It's okay to be fashionable, and you saw Pastor Kogi with her <laughs> spring green on. In fact, you go anywhere in Santa, everything's green, like there's another color. And Mona, our PA, in her spring green. It's not wrong to wear fashionable clothing, but if you don't have an identity, for heaven's sake, don't wear stuff from 1950, unless it's back in fashion. But just, you know, and don't look dowdy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about trying to dress yourself. Because you know what we're doing? We're trying to do what Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve fell, so they felt naked. So they put on fig leaves. And we do exactly the same today. Versace. Armani. Louis Vuitton. <laughs> and we try and cover because we feel inadequate. No, no, you can wear Versace and Louis Vuitton and you can enjoy all the blessings, but don't use it to make identity. <laughs> William James, in talking about how, some, how dysfunctional we can be, he says this, he says, whenever two people meet, there are really six people present. There's each man as he sees himself, each man as the other person sees him, and each man as he really is. Let me give you four myths about identity before we get into it this morning, and I trust I'll get through it all. Number one, the first myth that we can take on is appearance equals identity. You see, when it comes to objects, an appearance is its identity. When you look at a spoon, a spoon is a spoon. A cup is a cup, but it's not the same with a person. You can project an image, but it's not actually you. So don't judge things by the appearance. It's a shallow way. And it's so easy. Second thing is possessions equals identity. A lot of people believe that what they own makes them. No, it doesn't. It's a shallow way of being. It's wealth, not character. And I mean, you know, wealth is great. Better to be rich than poor. Amen? Better to have money to pay your bills than not. But it's not, it doesn't make you. Now, forgive me, some of you have heard me tell the story before, but there are many people in church who wouldn't. We once traveled, Pastor Dean and I, from the Durban campus. We went to Orlando in Florida. We were at a conference in the evening. We went back to our hotel, and we were hungry. And so there was nowhere to eat. The restaurant was full, and they have like a bar restaurant where you eat in, and we went in there because we wanted to eat. So we sat down, and there were like these small round tables, about this big. And the guy next to us was sitting close to us. But on our way in... We came from the street, I think we parked the car, we parked in the garage, and we came through the foyer, and you know the big hotel foyer, they've got that big roof? There's this fancy car there, it, was like a, it looked like a Lotus or a McLaren, I can't remember what it was, anyway, we both stopped, and like, wow, great, lovely car, and then we went in, we sat down, there's a guy sitting next to us, we kind of just nodded at him, and we're busy eating our, whatever it was, we weren't drinking, <laughs> and uh, suddenly he pipes up and he says, that's my car out there. Not, hello, my name's John. Not, hi, how are you guys? Visitors, I hear your accent's different. Just like out of the booth. Hi, that's my car out there. We both like, what? 
You see, he had tried to create, buy an identity and create an identity with a material position. Actually, we thought less of him, not more of him. That's what people are doing. Now, wonderful car. Well done to him if he worked for it and bought it, a great achievement. That's not the way you broach a bridge with people. It would have been better for us to have chatted to him about odds and ends and what he's doing there and what we're doing there, and then later to find out, oh, that's your car. That's amazing. Tell us about it. It would have been a better bridge instead of, that's my car out there. But that's where people are living today, and they are trapped because they don't know Jesus. Now, you and I are different. We can enjoy trappings without it trying to be identity. Am I making sense? Number three, success equals identity. That's a myth. You can be very successful, but it doesn't make you, because you can also fail. You can have an achievement or a position, but it doesn't give you character. You know, you can live in, in, in a nice estate, people have got expensive houses, but you don't know the type of people they are. You just know they've achieved something. It's not their character. You don't know if they're good or bad. And here's the thing. If you lose your achievements or you lose your position, it means you're nothing. See, you can lose what you've worked for, then, you, then you're a nobody. And, and it's quite a challenge, you know. Even famous people have faced this. Some of you may remember the tennis player, Chris Everett, uh, around the time of uh, the great players like uh, John McEnroe and, and people like that. She, she's now retired, and she said this. After retiring from tennis, she was a multiple champion. She said, I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. I was, I, I liked being looked, uh, it, sorry, it was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. Scary. In fact, I read about a pastor and a seminary professor in, uh, in the United States, in New Orleans. He preached and ran the Bible college and was one of their top professors. He committed suicide in 2015. And the reason he committed suicide is because he had been on that, uh, that uh, adultery website, Ashley Madison. That will look so innocent. And it turned out that it was hacked and 30 million people's names were published, including his. So you see, he had this position. He had this persona. But his identity was confused. And then he has to commit suicide. That's, when you know who you are in Christ, it's a completely different thing. Your true spiritual identity. Here's the fourth myth. Race equals identity. You're not the color of your skin. Isn't that true? You're not better because you're white and you're not inferior because you're black. You're not better because you're black or inferior because you're white. That's not your identity. Didn't Martin Luther King make that statement all the time? You don't judge a person by the color of their skin because the real person is on the outside. And yet there's a massive drive today to go back to our roots. It's almost like we feel like we've lost something. So in South Africa, some Afrikaners are trying to find their roots and they only want to talk Afrikaans because, no, that's, that's my identity. And now there's so many black people who feel swallowed up. Now your identity has got to be more than in a cultural identity. Black people going to their roots, trying to discover who they really are. And I think identity is beyond race. It's deeper than that. I was reading about this man. His name is Sadnad Segedi. He's a former member of the European Parliament. You can read his name and pronounce it yourself if you can. 
I've been trying to pronounce it since last week. He was a member of the Hungarian radical nationalist. That's a dangerous word, nationalist, because whenever nationalism comes into it, you end up creating one group better than the other, and that's not God's plan, except in the church. That's the one nation under God. He was part of the Jabok, or the Jobbik, sorry, political party that was anti-Semitic. Well, the problem was, these, all these anti-Semitic people, he discovered that his great-grandparents were, or his grandparents were Jews. Here's the weird thing. His view of life and politics have changed. He's become an Orthodox Jew. He immigrated to Israel, and now he supports the people amongst whom he once hated. He lives amongst them. You see, you can flick a switch like that. I remember there was a white guy once in the Sunday Times, one of the members of parliament, soon after we became a doc democracy. Does anyone remember that? And uh, he used to be ranting and raving and attacking black people. Then one day someone says, hey, your great-grandfather, he was black. Chips. Chips still. You see how fickle it is. We don't find our identity in that. We find our identity in Christ. Now, the reason I say that is not because I live in South Africa and I'm white and I'm trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to speak biblically to you, and I'm trying to set you free, which we'll talk about in a moment. Now, Peter tells us who we are and who we're not. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Are you, are you with me? But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal, sorry, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. This world's trying to shape you, it's trying to destroy you, but you've got a new identity because you're a child of God and you belong to the family of God. Are you with me? And it's so important to recognize that in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, for he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. We have a new humanity and a new identity because we are called Christians and we're in the family of God. Does that make sense to you? Now let me give you 10 things and you can write them down if it helps you. Here are 10 important things about establishing our true spiritual identity. Number one, know what God has said about our true identity. Know what God has said about our true identity. If you want to know someone's natural identity, you know what you're usually asking for is their ID document. It's a book that tells you, it used to be a little book with pages in, that tells you who they are, where they were born, what race group they're from, what gender they're from, and what nationality they are. Isn't that true? It's a document. Well, the Bible is your ID document. It tells you who you are now, that you're no longer divided up into race groups and categories, but we're all one in Christ, and we belong to God, and we're sons and daughters of the living God, saved by His grace on our way to heaven. That's who we are. And when you understand what the Word says about you, It'll give you confidence. When John the Baptist was approached by the Pharisees, they asked him, who are you? You just come here, you emerge from the wilderness. Who, 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 who do you think you are? 
They say, are you Elijah? No. Are you one of the prophets? No. Who are you? I'm the one of whom it is written in the ID document in the book of Isaiah. Make his way clear. You see, he knew where he was in the word. Do you know who you are from the word? Or are you struggling for an identity? You see, you've got to know it is written when the devil comes to you. That's what Jesus told the devil. When the devil came and tempted him, it is written. Not, don't you know who I am? It is written. And we're living in an identity jungle where we can't make sense of things. You've got to know I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter what all these people do and all these people are trying to be. I know who I am in Christ. I was reading a book just recently about a man and his family who motorcycle all over the world, and they decided to motorcycle through Africa. And they were in Central Africa in quite a jungle, riding on like a dirt road, all of them. And they suddenly came into like a clearing, you know, like like a lawn almost, grass. And as they stopped and, you know, wondered where they were, and they noticed this table set with a cutlery and crockery and, and a tablecloth and, and everything. And there were two people. The man had a waistcoat on with a white shirt, and the, the woman had a long frock on. And they were like, huh, there's a movie set or what? And they approached the people amazed and kind of like inquired, what's happening here? And the lady looked up, and she said to the, the head of the family, she said, being in a jungle is no reason to forget who we are. Are you in such a jungle that you don't know where you are? You don't know who you are? You've lost your identity and you're clinging to physical things? See, Jesus, when he received that voice from the Father, he didn't just go into the synagogue and say to them, hey, I'm here. He was given the book of Isaiah the prophet and he began to read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And he read the written word and then said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He didn't go in there and say, hey, I just heard a voice. I'm here. He heard the voice, but he had the word. You and I need the revelation, but we need the word. What does God say about us? We need to hold on to that ID document. Number two, this is important about establishing your true identity. Looking inwards or outwards cannot create a sound identity. Looking inwards or looking outwards cannot create a sound identity. Some people are looking out to culture to see the voices of culture and to determine what culture is saying. Others are looking inside. Who am I? How do I feel? And so the authoritative voices of the word and the authoritative voices of parents have been diminished. People are now relying on feelings. They're even allowing children to tell you what they feel their gender is. No, wait, it gets worse. They can go and have an operation at four years old, and the doctors don't have to tell the parents. We are living in an identity jungle. You need to train your children from young that they are children of God, that they walk alongside you in the family of God. Because this does not, listen to me today, this does not lead to freedom. This leads to bondage and to chaos and to heartbreak. And they keep telling you that people are committing suicide because they have sexual confusion. No, it's because of debauched living and confusion that suicide occurs. If you train up a child correctly and you serve the Lord, it can keep you from insanity. And we've been lied to. We must understand that it cannot come from inside us. Brian Rosa wrote a book called How to Find Yourself. And the subtitle is Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. And he gives us a warning here by talking about the state of the world today, describes what people are facing. And he says, personal identity, personal identity is a do-it-yourself project. All external forms of authority are to be rejected, and everyone's quest for self-expression should be celebrated. 
the strategy of identity formation, sometimes labeled expressive individualism, is the view that you are who you feel yourself to be on the inside, and that acting in accordance with this identity constitutes living authentically. I mean, now everyone wants to live authentically. He says this, if you are a Christian, I hope you will be able to embrace your identity by looking in the right places. I want to tell you that looking inside will not give you answers because we are fallen creatures. Paul writing to us describes our state, and you might not immediately recognize it, but this verse teaches us something important. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, just pause there. If you stopped there, you'd say, well, I didn't know and I knew nothing, now I know everything. But he doesn't stop there. He qualifies that even as an adult, there's things missing. He goes on to say, for now, we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. You see, you don't know fully if you look inside. But if you look into your ID document and you look to the Lord, then suddenly you discover who you are. This is very, very important, especially for teenagers. Uh, social psychologist Eric Erickson, he studied teenagers, and he says they've got a struggle, and that struggle that goes on in a teenager is, is role confusion versus identity. And he says that they experiment by wearing different clothing, tattooing themselves, music. They want to be different to their parents to establish who they really are. And he says this, if a teenager does not walk away from their adolescence, with a clear sense of who they are, they will never have a healthy personality. So if the world continues to confuse our children, we will have unhealthy adults. Thank God that you can throw them into children's church and into youth, and out will come, generally speaking, golden children. <laughs> Pastor Adrian was an exception. We threw him in, and he rebelled, and he jumped out the fire, and he went his own way. But finally... He now is running Kaolomi campus, and he seems to be doing pretty golden. Are you hearing me today? Because these are issues everyone's wrestling with, and the church mustn't be dragged into confusion. We must know who we are. We are a different culture and a different society. Number three, only Jesus gives us our true identity. In today's world, we want the fruits of identity, but the roots of identity or true roots of identity only to be found in Christ. See, everyone's identity starts with a birth certificate. But the new birth gives you a new birth certificate. Isn't that true? And in fact, as you look at Jesus and follow Jesus, you become like him because he is your older brother, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord with spirit. So we take our identity from Jesus. As we look at him, we begin to reflect him. We become like him because he's our family. No matter what race we are, no matter what age we are, Jesus is our identity. Are you with me? He died for us and made us children of God. I struggle when I go on a Christian social media and they don't reflect being Christians. Someone tells me, I'm... I'm a Christian. I, 
I go to rivers. Oh, really? I've never, I've not met you. No, I've been coming for 10 years. And I look at their social media. Shoes, bags, boobs, bums. No, come on now. I surely must see something of a service. Maybe one sister's meeting in three years. You should reflect who you belong to. Otherwise, it's like a split personality. Imagine you went on my social media page and then you see me with a crash helmet on racing. Next one, you see me flying a jet. You, no, this must be the wrong Andre G. Ulf here. Because hmm? identity, you, you, if we're Christians, surely. Let me move on because of the time. Let's look at a couple of positive ones here as we move along. Number four, new identity means a new destiny. See, because you have a new identity, you have a new destiny. When, when the Lord got hold of a, a, a Abraham and Sarah, he changed their names. He didn't just change their names. He basically changed their destiny. He made them his people and then gave them his promises and his blessings. When, when the Lord got hold of Jacob, Jacob woke up and he discovered heaven. He had an encounter with heaven. It's like a picture of the Christian life. God changed his name from deceiver, Jacob, to Israel, prince with God. When Peter encountered Jesus, Jesus changed Peter's name, signifying you're not just some fisherman anymore. You're going to be one of the 12 apostles, and you're going to sit on the throne because identity equals destiny. We don't have the same destiny as other people. Can I encourage you when you go to family functions and parties, don't try and fit in. I often meet strange people here. Let me give an example. You're going to have your tires changed or, you know, the potholes in South Africa, ridiculous. So you go to the tire place. Hi, morning, I need X, Y, Z, the guy behind the counter. Yeah, I know, struggling to get stock. The, 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 the F, the Y, the G, the, the B. Uh, do you then try and, yeah, I yeah, know, South Africa, the F, the Y, the B. Or do you just go, yeah, it's pretty troubled in South Africa. See, some people try and fit in. Because they don't know the identity. I know my identity. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. I'm a child of God. I don't talk like that. And you know what happens? Your desperate attempt to fit in is worse because when you just keep quiet and you're just friendly, they kind of go, with me it's easy. Well, aren't you on a tea? Because <laughs> they find it strange that you don't fit in. Why do you want to fit in? We're different. We're children of God. We follow Jesus. We're all from different backgrounds, but we're one body. Our destiny is different. We once were, but now God in Christ has changed us, and we're on our way to a different destination. Number five, new identity means no bondage to culture. Don't have to be in bondage to culture. Don't have to act like the culture you come from. You can be a new creature. Are you with me? See, the world will try and mold you. Romans 12 says, don't be molded by your culture. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Interesting, as you look at that phrase, new creation, or those words, new creation, do you know what they actually mean in the Greek? It means a new species. It's literally saying you once were a dog, now you're a bird. You're not just, you know, you once were here, now you're there. 
You once didn't go to church, now you go to church. No, no, no. You are a completely different person because you have come from your family of origin into the family of choice, which is the Christian family. There's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, white nor black. Everyone is just... So why would we gravitate to culture to try and find race, to try and get identity or superiority? Now we leave all that behind. Now we're a new people. It's very quiet in this Methodist church. Some of, you are, some of you are digesting. You see, a big, a big thing happened here, and, and this is a challenge because people want to go back to their roots all the time, and I understand it. In 1972, Christians in Chad, in Africa, were persecuted because they were f- being forced to participate in old initiation rites um, that they said were pagan. And uh, uh, the government tortured Christian leaders and put them in prison, buried them alive with just their heads sticking out or their legs sticking out of the ground for a slow death. And uh, the reason was is these Christians reacted to the practices that were being foisted on them. They had to drink chicken blood, offer stuff to idols, they had to handle fetishes, tie things around them, different ceremonies, bones and stuff. And the president, Francois Tombalbaya, launched a cultural revolution because he wanted to rid the nation's people of foreign influences and establish an identity with the country's past. Now, on the surface of it, it sounds very good. But what actually was happening was he was part of a group of people. They were known as the Sara people. And not only did the Sara people practice this, but a subgroup of the Sara people. So he wanted the whole nation to embrace this. And he called, well, you're African, you must do it. Meanwhile, they're like a sub-people in a subgroup. Well, all the Christian churches rebelled in Chad, and they protested against it, some 1,500 evangelical churches, and some churches would not readmit members back into their church who had practiced these rites in trying to, you know, satisfy culture. Eventually, it got so critical that his own soldiers um, murdered murdered Tombalbaya in 1975 and rebelled. Here's, Here's my point. Cultural identity always divides. Spiritual identity always unites. And we've got to be careful. We're not seeing something and we think it's good, but it's actually dragging us back and dividing us when God wants to unite us. Am I making sense today? It's very quiet in this Methodist church. Number six, quickly, I've got a couple of minutes left. I've got to go quickly. New identity means coping with rejection well. See, when you have a new identity, you don't have to fit in. So if people reject you, you say, well, it doesn't matter. I know where I belong. I know who I am. I am who he says I am. Isn't that true? So people can laugh at you. They can talk behind your back. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care what family says. I don't care what strangers say. They call us a big business, Rivers Church. They call, they call us all sorts of names. We're, elite, we're, we're apparently an illegal church on the corner of South and Middle. I don't, I don't care. I don't have to fit into any group because I know where I belong. Now, let me remind you what the Bible says about you and me as Christians. It says this in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Watch this, a peculiar people. That means we don't try and fit in. If we go to a party and everyone's cutting on and there we are standing looking a bit spare, it's okay. I'm peculiar. I'm a child of God. Come on. I might wear fashionable clothing. I might look like I drive some car to you. My house might be similar to you, my taste in things, but I'm a peculiar person. I no longer am trying to fit in because I know who I am. And it frees me from rejection, frees me from all 
these things. Number seven, I've got to go quick. New identity means new security. New security. See, when you know who you are, you can know that your life is hid with Christ in God, that you're on your way to heaven. Should anything happen in your life, God's got you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to direct you. And uh, no doubts or fears can rob us from that. Our feelings don't matter because we know that we know that we belong to Jesus. And you've got to hold on to that. It brings new security into your life. Listen, you don't just attend church. You're a new person. You're a new creation. Number eight, our new identity will always be challenged. I want to remind you, as a Christian, your identity will be challenged. You remember that Satan came to Jesus to challenge his identity. When was it? Not before his baptism, when he was still growing and figuring it out. After he made a full-on commitment, Satan came. And what did he say? If you are the Son of God, challenge his identity. And the devil will do that to you. And by the way, Jesus was in the wilderness. The devil will always come to you when you're in a wilderness of sorts and ask you, if you are a born-again Christian who God cares for, how come you had an accident? If you are a born-again Christian who God cares for and you are the head and not the tail, how come you're going through such a trial? And we've got to stand up and say, it is written. It is written. It is written. It's not about how I feel. It is written. You see, that's the way. And your identity will be challenged. You've got to keep coming back to it is written, not some kind of other debate. I hope this is helping you today. And number nine, I'll go quickly. We're nearly done. True identity means we regain a sense of self in failure. See, we will fail as Christians, but if you know who you are, you can get up from failure and go on. You're not destroyed. You fail, but you're not a failure. Because you, you, that's not your identity. Failure is not your identity. You're a child of God who happened to fail. And you can get up and go back. You remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He was a child of God. He had an identity. He left. He destroyed that identity. He squandered everything. But he could still at any point come to his senses, the Bible says. And he could get up and go back to his father. And he could repent and say, Father, I've lost sight of you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, he says. Make me one of your hired servants. And the father then says, no, you're actually my son. And I'm going to restore you because you repent. You see, you're not written off. You can regain a sense of self, even in failure, if you know who you are. And listen, if you know who you are, you know where home is. Devil will tell you, don't go back to church. They're going to ask you where you were, why you haven't been around. Listen to me. If you fail and you go away, or you know people have gone away, and they come back, they can come to that table outside where I sign books and tell me, Pastor, I've been away for three years. I've been in the pits. I've been with the pigs. I've been away, but I'm back. I'll be like, come, let me hug you. And number 10, true identity gives us peace despite trouble and storms. When Paul was in a storm on the sea, he experienced an encounter with the presence of God. An angel came to him, but he says this. He says, the God whose I am and whom I serve. You need to know whose you are and whom you serve so that the storms of life don't batter you and distract you. You will go through trials, 
but your identity is what keeps you pressing on. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.